Superbrain is a labour of love. Alas, no podcast can survive on love alone. We don't have a sponsor, so we need your support for Superbrain to stay alive and kicking. You can make a one-off donation by following the Support This Show link in the show or episode description. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass?" So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Hello and welcome to Super Brain, the podcast for everyone with a brain. My name is Sabina Brennan and this is your weekly Super Brain Booster Shot to help you transform your everyday brain into a super brain. Okay, so while I record these Super Brain Booster Shots uh, the week that they're released, I'm sure that you realise that I record the interviews with my guests weeks in advance and in fact some cases a couple of months in advance. Despite the time distance between the two recordings, my aim is for the Superbrain Booster episode to link to something that my guests and I have chatted about in the main episode. In this week's episode, author and columnist Sinead Moriarty described getting a diagnosis of rheumatoid arthritis as a lonely place. She then went on to credit sharing stories and connecting with other people with rheumatoid arthritis as critical to leaving that lonely place and finding her happy place again. So I knew that I wanted to do a booster shot episode about loneliness and social isolation. <laughs> Little did I know back then that everyone in the world would be either self-isolating or social distancing. I did think about changing my topic choice in case it made things worse for some people in isolation. To be honest, um, with hindsight, I don't know why I had that thought, because talking always helps. There's great value in knowing that others are going through what you're going through, um, as Sinead made very clear in this week's episode. And as all of us are learning as we live through these very strange times and this current crisis, even though our worlds have turned upside down, knowing that everyone is in the same boat makes it a little easier to accept and to adjust. I suppose that I was concerned that with so much distressing news, um, people are turning to podcasts to escape. And that's perfectly fine too. Switch off now and grab a funny podcast if that's what you need right now. But do come back and listen to this at some point. I totally agree with Sinead. Knowledge is power. And when it comes to dealing with loneliness, it really helps immensely to understand why we feel lonely. If you've ever felt lonely, it simply means that you're human. And to be honest, I'd be more worried about someone who has never experienced loneliness than someone who has. There is a general misconception that loneliness is something that affects older people more than younger people, but that's just not true. In fact, a survey carried out by the Mental Health Foundation found that 18 to 34 year olds were actually more likely to feel lonely than over 55s. Loneliness is more about context than chronological age. While some of us are more predisposed to feelings of loneliness, most of us will experience loneliness at some point, indeed actually at several points in our lives. 
Some common times when people experience loneliness are um, attending college for the first time, becoming a new mum, when newly divorced or recently retired, when bereaved or, uh, you know, caring for someone um, with dementia or a long term condition, when living alone. Uh, when unemployed and even when working from home and which I guess is pretty much everyone at this point in time but I'm hoping that if you're listening to this after we have found a cure for the virus um, that we have returned to a world where we can leave our homes to go to work and to do other social things. For me the loneliest I've ever felt Uh, was when I had my first baby. This was long before social media and the internet and mobile phones. Um, And so I went from working in an office with over a thousand people to there just being me and my baby, who cried a lot, from seven in the morning um, till seven at night in my lovely new three-bedroomed house. The way that modern society works, particularly modern Western society, means that we're less closely bound and more isolated from each other than ever before. Um, And I believe that this has led to an epidemic of loneliness that affects people of all ages. I'm not talking about COVID social distancing measures here. I'm just talking about everyday life, um, pre-social distancing restrictions. We're a pretty clever species and we have amazing brains. But somewhere along the line, I believe that we took a wrong turning. That brought us to a place where we measure success by how big a box we can isolate ourselves in. Now, as it happens in the midst of COVID-19, that's not all bad and it might actually be easier to isolate in a big box than a small one, especially if you have young kids. But in the more usual life that we lead, it's not the healthiest way to live. We are social beings. We thrive on social contact and we need each other to survive. Humans do not do well in isolation. We're predisposed to maintain proximity to others and to be involved in reciprocal relationships. We need those bonds to feel safe and and to support each other. When we become isolated from others, our fear centres can go into overdrive and this can elevate stress, impair our sleep and make us uh, see threat where there is none. Staying connected is critical for mental well-being too. I honestly believe that our way of life now, our physical and metaphysical move away from community, is at the root of many mental health issues today. Okay, so what is loneliness anyway? Well, loneliness occurs when there's a mismatch between what we have and what we need in terms of both the quality and the quantity of our social relations. There's no magic number. It's all very individual. Loneliness, of course, is not just about being in the company of other people. You can feel lonely sometimes even more so in a crowd or even in the company of friends and family if your needs for intimacy are not being satisfied. Loneliness and being alone are not the same thing. Loneliness is a feeling of separateness, alienation, distress and isolation. It is certainly not a pleasant feeling. Loneliness is, in fact, what psychologists call an aversive feeling. That simply means that it is an unpleasant feeling that we will try to avoid. Now, a variety of biological mechanisms have evolved that capitalize on aversive signals to motivate behavior essential for our survival or for reproduction. For example, hunger is an unpleasant feeling. Hunger is triggered by low blood sugar and it motivates us to eat. 
Hunger is an aversive feeling, so we want to avoid it, so we eat. Loneliness is also an aversive signal, just like hunger, just like thirst or pain, that motivates us to take action to minimise damage or promote self-preservation. It's easy to see how ignoring feelings of hunger or thirst could be damaging to our health or even life-threatening. It's not so easy to see that connection between feeling lonely and damage to our health um, or to death. Well, the link is there and it is very strong. So strong that I and others have asked government to prioritise loneliness as a health issue. And that's because loneliness is quite literally a killer. To give you some perspective, a large meta-analysis gathered together the results of 70 studies with almost 3.5 million people to look at the impact of loneliness, social isolation and living alone on mortality. All of the studies were longitudinal. That just means that measures were taken at time one and again at time two. Across all of the studies, the average time between baseline and follow-up was eight years, and participants were adults of all ages. The only outcome that they looked at was whether people in the studies were alive or dead at time two. People who were lonely, socially isolated or living alone were respectively 26%, 29% and 32% more likely to be dead yes, dead, at follow-up than others. And that was irrespective of their age, of socioeconomic status or the length of follow-up. In addition, loneliness is associated with increased risk of high blood pressure, dementia, cognitive decline and increased susceptibility to viruses, which has greater significance now more than ever. So if loneliness is so bad for our health, why... Why does it exist? Well, the sensations associated with loneliness evolved because they contribute to our survival as a species. Loneliness is a painful experience and that painful information is transmitted to your central nervous system. Pain is a signal that we cannot ignore. Pain tells us to get out of this situation now. So the point is, loneliness in small doses is adaptive because it spurs us on to seek social contact. It becomes problematic when we ignore the signal because loneliness can become chronic and this represents a serious threat to our general health and to the health of our brain. Being a member of a social species comes with benefits, you know, like protection and assistance. And it also comes with costs, risks of infection, which we're increasingly aware of, um, and also competition for food and for mates. From an evolutionary perspective, being isolated from our social group can be perilous, making us vulnerable to predators. Feelings of loneliness act as a biological warning, an alarm bell, motivating us to take action to avoid isolation. So, your brain switches into self-preservation mode when you feel socially isolated. Changes occur in your brain which make you more alert to danger, more distrustful and less empathetic towards others. Ironically, this can make you more likely to isolate socially. If you remain lonely, over time your social skills become eroded through disuse. Loneliness experienced over long periods may actually act as a chronic stressor, increasing the activity and number of neural connections in your brain's fear centre, your amygdala, putting you on high alert and keeping you in high self-preservation mode. Loneliness 
doesn't just make you feel unhappy. It can make you feel unsafe and it interferes with your sleep, which in turn can have a knock-on effect on your health and well-being and also escalate your levels of stress. The release of cortisol and, and fight or flight activity can also overstimulate the inflammatory response in your body and suppress your immune response. And, and so the effect of loneliness-induced stress on your immune system can also be indirect as you try to cope with loneliness, for example, by maybe drinking too much alcohol or by smoking or even by overeating. Chronic stress can also lead to shrinking of the prefrontal cortex, or the very front part of your brain, which plays a key role in regulating your social behaviour, allowing you to empathise with others and make sense of the world. So if that's getting smaller, it becomes more difficult for you to empathise with others and make more likely to make you mistrustful of others. Um, loneliness is also associated with poor sleep quality and high blood pressure, both of which impact on your brain function and indeed your risk of developing dementia. So um, loneliness is a very serious problem that has deep roots in our biology as well as in our social environment. We need to be aware, I think, that some of our brain's automatic and unconscious responses may colour our perception of the world when we are experiencing chronic loneliness, um, disabling our ability to empathise and tricking us in a way into seeing threat where there is none. But it's equally important to remember that while some of these responses are automatic and unconscious, we do have some cognitive control. We can make choices. We can consciously take action to routinely engage more socially. And if we see others who have become socially isolated, we need to help to reintegrate them in a way that takes account of the fact that their brain has undergone changes that make them fearful, less empathetic and possibly socially inept. That's all for this edition of Superbrain. For regular updates and bonus material, follow uh, Superbrain Podcast and Sabina Brennan on Instagram and at Sabina underscore Brennan on Twitter. Of course, if you want to learn more about how your brain works and how to keep it healthy, you can check out my book, 100 Days to a Younger Brain. And of course, continue to listen to Superbrain. Subscribe on Acast, Apple, Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts. And remember, if you loved it, rate it, review it and share it. My name is Sabina Brennan and you've been listening to Superbrain, the podcast for everyone with a brain.